ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of the amazing podcast. Point counterpoint. Chris Wright is your host here. Aloha. I am recording this in beautiful, beautiful Maui as part of my J-term course, studying the cognition, or just, well, actually just whales and the humpback whales in general. You know, I'll be going out on a research boat to look at them, you know, you know, identifying the individuals, that sort of thing. All right. It's top secret. No, Uh, but it'll be fun. You know, doing some real stuff. All right. It's been lit, fam. Namaste. (laughs) No, I only do that in the end. I only say that in the end. Um, yeah, but it's been going well. You know, yesterday, uh, found out I, I put my head, me and a few people put our heads under the water, and we heard some clicks and whistles, which sounded suspiciously like some bo- some dolphins in there. I mean, they were dolphins, actually. I shouldn't say some. They were dolphins. Couldn't see them, but we could hear them very distinctly. That was pretty amazing. All right. All right. And it's, it's fun being 21 here, too. So, yeah. Um, what else is going on? You know, going to some lectures, learning about some conservation. And what what up with that Great Pacific garbage patch? All right. And it's the thing is, most of it is actually microplastics, is an interesting fact about it. Um, instead of large piece like plastic bottles and stuff, that stuff breaks down into microplastics, which they somewhat, some people, some people, you may hear people say that's not as harmful there. It is because you see, even microplastics, they get picked up by plankton and stuff, which then get eaten by bigger and bigger things up until even by humans, you know, we can get, we're the ones that create the plastic and then we we can end up consuming it. All right. So that's not fun. All right. Oh, I just found out if I'm, so I'm recording straight from anchor right now, which means I can only record it for up to 30 minutes, so either I'll have to have a short episode, which I don't want to do, or I can just start another recording. So after 30 minutes, I'm probably going to give you a heads up, and then I'll start another recording. It'll probably be no more than a second or two of me not talking, okay? (laughs) Don't worry. Don't worry. We'll all... We'll all be fine. It's all going to be okay. All right. I hope I hope the audio is sounding good. Uh, the air conditioner is, which I don't even need right now. God. It's making some little, little, little sounds. I don't know if it'll pick it up. Hopefully not, but it probably will pick it up a little bit. I don't know. Hard to say. You know, 
Um, yeah, just been hanging out in my room all day long and doing nothing. No. There's probably people that would do that. Those people would just have sad lives. Sad, sad lives. And I pity them. I pity them greatly. We're, we'll be going to a volcano eventually. And hopefully I'll be able to uh, talk about that in my next episode. I plan on talking about that a bit. You know? Um, what else? I got, I got a fun thing planned for later on in the episode. I don't want to get to it quite yet. Okay. I want to talk about it in a little bit. We'll see. That great Pacific garbage patch. It's the size of Texas. Man. Because you see, there's uh, these gyres that circulate in, there's five of them throughout the world. There's North Pacific, South Pacific, North Atlantic, South Atlantic, and the, Indi the Indian Ocean. Oh, by the way, there's, I'll, I'll get to that. And uh, the garbage uh, accumulates in the center of each of these gyres. It's sad. And then whales get entangled and bunch of this shit you know, and then it slows them down, and then it's, um, so the thing is, when a whale gets tangled, it takes a lot, it gives them, it makes them expel, expend a lot of energy, and which means that they, it, it sets back a lot of different functions, such as reproduction, so it, it doesn't help at all, <laughs> that's for sure, <laughs> All right, I wish I had an instrument to play a little song here, but I, I, I don't, which is why I'm going to have to do this. I'm sorry for this, but I have to. It's just, it's too popular to not do it. I do my head toss, check my neck. Baby, how you feeling? Head toss, check my neck. Baby, how you feeling? <laughs> New song. Why men great so they gotta be great? Woo. I just took a DNA test, turns out I'm a hundred percent that bitch, even when I'm crying crazy. Okay. Enough Liz out there. I don't know, I don't want to get copyrighted there. I just played a few seconds of it. <laughs> oh dear. By the way, check out the folks over there at Shukrut, the podcast. C8. It's a, you know, the exclamation, the, the, there's an upside down exclamation point on one end and a regular one on the other end. And then it's spelled C H O U with a, with a accent, uh, K R U with uh, two dots. Uh, T. Okay, so you know, I know them. You know, roommates, and uh, it's a, I've been on the podcast before. So look for my episode on there. It's 
It's back a couple, I think. I don't know, but they have they have a great show. All right. And now I am going to be taking a quick break. When I come back, I'm going to be coming back with a whole new segment, which I which I will explain soon. All right. Welcome back to the next segment of Point Counterpoint. I'm your host, Chris Wright, again from Maui. Okay, so here's the thing. The last segment that you just heard was actually from two days ago. I meant to come back and record later that day, and I didn't. So, sorry, not sorry. Because normally, the thing is, I really like to record in one long segment, I don't like to divide and divide it up, you know. But this this is funny. <laughs> I'm 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 gonna I'm gonna try to make lemonade out of this, okay? I gave myself lemons, now I'm gonna make lemonade. <laughs> but anyway, what's happened since then? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, the next day after I recorded it, went out on the tour boat. I saw some whales. We put like a hydro. Um, there's about 140 other people on the boat. And because that, that wasn't a research vessel. That was just the tour vessel. I'm going on the research tomorrow. But yesterday was the tour. Um, put a hydrophone in the water. Heard some whale songs. That was cool. A um, couple whales approached us and did what's called a mugging. You know, they they go up to you and say, hey, give me your money. Yeah, the whales whales love currency. Uh, so that happened. <laughs> it just means that you can't start your motors when they're that when they're within 100 yards. You gotta wait until they go. Um. Yeah. So saw a bunch of them. Uh, then what happened today? Went out and uh, viewed some whales from the shore, and recorded where they were. You know. Uh, hold on. Let me. Now you look at seven. Um, okay. Yeah. So anyway, went out there, um, kept some data where they were, used a theodolite, which measures angles and stuff. And interesting thing about them is it's a tool that's been used. In its present form since like the 1500s, and now they're electronic, but you know, it's still the same thing. You know, I'm gonna look up a little history on it. History. History. The term diopter was sometimes used in old text as a synonym for a theodolite. That this derives from an older astronomical instrument called the diopter. Uh, let's see. I believe the oldest one in its current form was from like 1512. That could be similar similar things, maybe a little simple that that are a little bit simpler. 
that were older. You know? But anyway, here's the thing that I really wanted to get to. All right. So one thing that I find frustrating about our modern society is that people are not scientifically literate. Most of the scientific studies that they look at come from just popular websites, which is fine. But remember, those are just interpretations of what the actual study was. So they can they can misinterpret, or you can misinterpret. That. I, what you read could have been perfectly legit. It, usually it's fine. Um, but you could have interpreted it wrong. Another thing... Um, uh, you know, you, you, usually it's fine, but um, it could miss some important parts at this day or try to extrapolate from the data what it really sh shouldn't be extrapolating. So I think one thing that people need to do is know the actual stuff. And that's why I want to start, I'll, I'll see if I actually end up doing this regularly on the show in the coming episodes, but I'll, tr I'll, tr I'll try to do it, you know? Um, and I'll just read part of a study so people know what's going on in whatever the area might be. And I'll try to do it from a variety of different areas. So I might read one study from psychology or neuroscience or another one from physics. Not exactly my area, but I'll, I'll, I'll just read it. Well, just read it. And maybe, maybe I'll provide an interpretation or explanation. Maybe I won't. Depends how interested I am in it, but I think more people need to understand. So what I'm going to do with this one here, I'll read the abstract, and I'll just explain. So a general, it's generally made up of different parts. You know, there's an abstract, which just shows basically some very briefly results, a little background little bit of what they did. Then there'll be an introduction. That'll just show a lot of background stuff that they went into beforehand. And there's materials, methods, and there's results, a lot of numbers in there. Um, and you'll notice that there'll be a, a discussion. That's important. Because that's where you look at the results and you say, hey, what do these mean? Okay, that's important. And that's the most, that's the main parts, okay? Now, if you don't want, when you're reading, the discussion, the abstract getting important, you know? Some people say don't read the abstract until the end. I don't know. I, I, that's a, I guess that's a preference. The introduction, definitely read that. Read the discussion. Methods and results, depends if you want to read that or not. Depends how into it you want to get. I'm just going to read 
Oh, what do I want to do? I think I'll do the abstract. I'll try to read oh part of the introduction to you. So this one, I'll read part of it in the voice of Richard, At Richard Attenborough. I'm not going to read the whole thing like that. The Royal Society Open Science Migratory Convergence Facilitates Cultural Transmission of Humpback Whale Song. Cultural transmission of behavior is important in a wide variety of vertebrate taxa from birds to humans. Vocal traditions and vocal learning provide a strong foundation for studying culture and its transmission in both humans and cetaceans. Male hump cetaceans meaning whales and dolphins. Male humpback whales or Megaterra nova angeli perform complex culturally transmitted song displays that can change both evolutionarily through accumulations of small changes or revolutionarily where a population rapidly adopts a novel song. The degree of coordination and conformity underlying a song underlying song revolutions makes their study of particular interest. Acoustic contact on migratory routes may provide a mechanism for cultural revolutions of song. Yet these areas of contact remain uncertain. Here we compared songs recorded from the Kermetic Islands, a, re a recently discovered migratory stopover, to multiple South Pacific wintering grounds. Similarities in song themes from the Kermetic Islands and multiple wintering locations from New Caledonia across to the Cook Islands suggest a, lo a location allowing cultural transmission of song eastwards across the South Pacific. Active song learning, hybrid songs, and the potential for cultural convergence after acoustic isolation at the wintering grounds. As with the correlations in humans between genes, communication and migration, the migration patterns of humpback whales are written into their songs. That was the abstract. So as, uh, just to read, I, really, I want to read the whole introduction. Yeah, I will. Cultural traditions play a significant role in shaping human societies. Cultural, culture, broadly defined as shared behavior or information within a community acquired through some form of social learning from conspecifics, can also be an important project in non-human communities. As demonstrated in multiple studies on the cultural learn, learning of behavioral traits in primates, recent studies have also highlighted the importance of cultural traits and so, social learning incitations. For example, Bottlenose dolphins demonstrate the cultural transmission of tool use, while humpback whales have multiple independently evolving cultural traditions, including migratory destinations, feeding techniques, and songs. Vocal traditions and vocal learning provide a strong foundation for studying culture and its transmission in both humans and cetaceans. For example, vocalizations that are shared within a group and maintained through cultural transmission over decades are used to identify social structures in killer whales, Orcanus orca and sperm whales. The stability of these vocal cultures and other cultural traditions, e.g. prey specialization, can in turn affect genetic evolution through gene culture co-evolutionary processes. A striking example of large-scale cultural transmission in a non-human animal is the transmission of humpback whale songs between populations. Male humpback whales produce long stereotyped vocalizations that function in sexual selection for mate attraction and or to facilitate male-male interactions. Humpback whale song is hierarchically structured. 
Sound units are grouped into phrases that are embedded in higher-level themes. Although songs are constantly evolving, most males within a population will converge on a single song type during any particular winter breeding season. Songs can also be transmitted between populations. Garland et al. identified dynamic transmission of humpback whale song that extended across the South Pacific, spanning 6,000 kilometers from eastern Australia in the west to French Polynesia in the east. It is a clear example of large-scale horizontal cultural transmission, where population rapidly adopts a novel song introduced from a neighboring population, and then the next adjacent population adopts the novel song, and so on in a population-level transmission chain. The western and central South Pacific region can be divided into three sections, Eastern Australia, Western South Pacific, New Caledonia, Tonga, and American Samoa, and the Central South Pacific, Cook Islands, and France, French Polynesia. Based on previous song studies, song types take approximately two years to transit across the region, and as a result, populations in each section will typically converge on different song types at any one time. These songs may be related to each other with some shared material or be quite distinct. However, given humpback whales' fidelity in natal wintering grounds, grounds, we still have a limited understanding of the underlying mechanisms driving the cultural phenomenon. Humpback whale song is most frequently produced and recorded on the wintering breeding grounds, and while the, the whales are migrating to, to and particularly in the South Pacific from their wintering grounds, aggregations, uh, e.g. on feeding or wintering grounds, and shared migratory routes may provide an opportunity for acoustic contact, which is necessary for tr song transmission. Four possible contact mechanisms have been suggested. Singing on shared feeding grounds, singing on shared or partially shared migratory routes, between season movement of individuals between populations and within season movement of individuals between populations. All these mechanisms could occur in the South Pacific. But capturing such events and or identifying important geographical locations in Oceania Western and Central South Pacific remains challenging given the open ocean migratory range of humpback whales. A recent study of Kermetic Islands, a remote group of islands located in the west, Western South Pacific, found a, a large number of whales were present during the Austral Spring. Genetic and photo identification matches reveal the whales originated from the multiple South Pacific wintering grounds, with very few island groups south of the tropical wintering grounds. This unusual migratory stopover, where multiple migratory corridors may overlap when the whales are almost 2,000 kilometers into their southward migration, may provide a location for acoustic contact among multiple populations. Whales stay on average 4.6 days at Raoul Islands, Kermetics, RC unpublished data, 2015, which potentially allows for the exposure to songs for several days. Such contact could facilitate the cultural conversions of a song in the western South Pacific populations and the easterly transmission of song into the central South Pacific. Here we hypothesize that if males do migrate past the Kermetic Islands from multiple wintering grounds during their southward migration, September and October 2015, we should see some evidence of the cultural trans processes, song transmission and or convergence. This would provide evidence for cultural mechanism for, for cultural mechanism allowing easterly transmission of song from the western to the central South Pacific region. We compared recordings from the Kermetics with song recordings collected during the same winter breeding months. 
from those six wintering grounds spread across the South Pacific, Eastern Australia, New Caledonia, Tonga, Neo, and the Cook, the Cook Islands, and French Polynesia, and assigned a possible origin population for each Kermetic song recording, or parts thereof. That was the introduction. Okay. Question is... Discussion. Just the first part of it. I won't read the whole thing. Whales from many different populations were passing the Kermetics at the same time, providing the opportunity for song learning and easterly transmission of song across the South Pacific. This cl is clearly one of potentially multiple important locations for the cultural transmission of humpback song, owing to fine-scale differences identified in the song recordings from the wintering grounds analyzed here. It was possible to match the songs recording recorded at the Kermetics to New Caledonia, Tonga, Neo, and the Cook Islands, a pattern mirrored by data on genetically and photographically identified individual whales in the same area. These song analyses also suggested that singers from both French Polynesia and Eastern Australia were unlikely to visit the migratory location. In general, little is known about the migratory routes of South Pacific humpback whales. The temporary aggregation of whales at a migratory stopover may be related to humpback whale songs Whales' strong urge to socially aggregate and or due to follow it wing oceanic, oceanographic landmarks on migration. Regardless of the underlying driver, the stopover provides an opportunity for acoustic connectivity among multiple migratory streams. The hybrid song recorded at the Kermetics is consistent with the hypothesis of song learning on migration. And although such an aggregation of whales at a migratory stopover is temporary, it may be a major driver facilitating the easterly transmission of song across the South Pacific. Furthermore, as humpback whales sing less frequently on the feeding grounds, and as far as we know, do not aggregate at the Kermetics during the northward migration, the song learned during the southward migration needs to be remembered until the next breeding season, akin to song memory in Osine songbirds. That was heavy. That was a lot, and you probably don't want to hear too much more of that. But you know, because the one problem I find with a lot of research is it's not available to the public enough. I mean, sure, you can go on PubMed and look at stuff. It's free. It's a free place to look at medical stuff. But we need a way to immediately get this kind of information out in a way that everybody here will be able to access it. And that's why I am calling upon big podcasters to start doing this. Just pick one article. Do that. I, I call upon Eric Weinstein. <laughs> I think he'd be interested in it. Sounds like something he'd like. Um, anything else I got for you? We'll see. I can't just leave you like that, though. I can't.
All right, let's play this song. Listen to Kanye West at all. Close on Sunday. You my Chick Fil A. Close on Sunday. You my Chick Fil A. Hold the selfies. Put the gram away, get your family, y'all hold hands and pray. When you got daughters, always keep them safe. Watch out for vipers, don't let them indoctrinate. Close on Sunday, you my Chick-fil-A, you're my number one. With the lemonade, raise our sons. Train them in the faith through temptations. Make sure they're wide awake. Follow Jesus. Listen and obey. Okay, I don't want to get copyrighted. If I if I had played all of that, I might have. I don't know. I don't really know. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't know. Whatever. Okay. That's kind of a random song to play. <laughs> um, yeah. I feel weird just leaving you off like this, though. I gotta... I gotta... I gotta, I gotta figure something out here. What? I I I got I, I got it, man. I, I don't know what. Um. Let's see. Let's just look up some news here. You know. I'll just tell you the news. What's going on? It's got to be fun news, though. Um, Curb Your Enthusiasm won't be the same without Marty Funkhauser. They got rid of Marty? Why? Wait. Oh, he died. What? What happened? He died on January 2nd. How did he die? He was he was 76. Oh, he was recently diagnosed with cancer. He appeared in nearly two dozen episodes of the series, dating back, dating from 2004 to the most recent season of Curb. Dear, oh, that's sad. 
That's sad. Oh, Andrew Yang's wife reveals she was sexually assaulted. Hmm. Let's see. has a story so secret she never even shared it with most of her own family. But spending time with her husband, presidential candidate Andrew Yang, on the campaign trail and hearing so much gratitude from voters for talking about son Christopher's autism made her feel newly empowered. Meeting people and seeing the difference that we've been making already has moved me to share my own story about it, about sexual assault. It was 2012. She was pregnant with her first baby and found an OBGYN who had a good reputation, Dr. Robert Haddon. Initially, she says her visits were routine, but after a few months, things changed. Hmm. It started with inappropriate questions around um, how intimate I was with my husband, sexual activity, just very inappropriate probing questions that were unrelated to my health. The examinations became longer, more frequent, um, and I learned that they were unnecessary most of the time. Most women don't know what you're supposed to get when you're pregnant. I didn't know that you're not supposed to get an exam every time you went to see the doctor. I feel like I put up with some inappropriate behavior that I didn't know at the time with straight up sexual abuse slash sexual assault um, until much later. And I regret having put up with that because it ended up in a sexual assault that was indisputable, quite blatant. Hmm. Yang says the worst assault happened when she was seven months pregnant. I was in the exam room and I was dressed and ready to go. And then at the last minute, he kind of made up an excuse. He said something about, I think you're, you might need a C-section. And he proceeded to um, grab me over to him and undress me and examine me uh, internally, ungloved. And at first, I was a little bit like, what is going on here? And there was no one else in the room? No. Um, in fact, when I think back to most of our exams, I don't think there was somebody in the room. Yeah. You thought to yourself, this isn't just inappropriate banter. This is much different. Oh, he, I mean, I, at that moment, I knew that was, I knew it was wrong. I mean, I, I knew, I said, I knew I was being assaulted. She says she thought she was the kind of person who would run away, but she couldn't. I imagined myself as someone being, you know, like I would throw a chair at him and um, run out yelling bloody murder. It's not what happened. I was confused, and then I realized what was happening, and then I just kind of froze. Like a deer in headlights, just frozen. I knew it was happening. I remember trying to fix my eyes on a spot on the wall and just trying to 
avoid seeing his face as he was as he was assaulting me. I was just waiting for it to be over. She left that day and never went back. Did you tell your husband, Andrew? No. I didn't tell anyone. I didn't tell anyone what happened. I, I didn't tell Andrew or my family because I didn't want to upset them. I thought, this happened to me. I can, I can process this. I can deal with it. I can compartmentalize it. And, and did you? I tried. I tried, but I, I just didn't want to affect others. And I certainly didn't want Andrew blaming himself for not being able to go with me to these doctor's visits because honestly, if he was with me in the room, if anyone was with me in the room, this obviously wouldn't have happened. And at the time he was traveling a lot uh, for his nonprofit and most of the scheduling just didn't work out. Many months later, after her baby was born, a letter came in the mail. Robert Haddon had left his practice. I Googled him and there it was. There was a headline that said that he had assaulted another woman hmm. and she reported it to the police. Um, and at that moment, everything just did so. It was this sense of relief of finally realizing that I wasn't alone in it. He still picked me, um, but that it wasn't because of, right, it wasn't something that I did. It, it was, you know, this was a serial predator. And he just picked me as his prey. It was at that point she told husband Andrew. I just needed to tell someone. You know, I needed to share it at that moment because it felt so big to me. I needed that support. <laughs> and I told him. And he cried. <laughs> and he was involved. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, I can only do 30 minutes at a time in the recording, so I cut off. So I'm going to go back to about where we left off with that video. Um, I was somewhere. Let me think. Somewhere around here. And I told him. Here, I'll go back a little before. I needed that support. <laughs> and I told him. She told her husband. And he cried. <laughs> and he wasn't falling. <laughs> there were tears. Um, and he said it's because he remembered when I told, when I came home one day of uh, ranting about curvy doctors, I said something like, why do they let men be gynecologists? It makes no sense. And he, he remembered that I had made this comment and he felt so bad. He felt guilty that he didn't make the connection or ask me more 
She found a lawyer who discovered the Manhattan District Attorney had an open case against the doctor. Several other women had come forward with similar stories of being assaulted by him. And that was just life-changing. It felt so good to not be alone in this. She worked with an assistant district attorney who was collecting information from 18 women, including Yang, with allegations against Haddon. Yang testified before a grand jury, which indicted Haddon on multiple felony sex charges. Every time I talked to the ADA, the case was going great. And she was always telling me how strong this case was, how we were going to put him in jail, how he wasn't going to be able to do this to anyone ever again. And, um... And all of a sudden, there was a drop-off. I didn't hear from her for months. Finally, in February 2016, she was told the DA agreed to a plea deal with the doctor. He would lose his medical license, register as the lowest-level sex offender, but not go to jail. He was getting off with a slap on the wrist, basically. Not just that. Although he was charged on nine counts involving six accusers, he only pleaded guilty to two charges involving two women. Evelyn Yang was not one of them. They said that the punishment was the same, regardless of how many counts he pled guilty to, that the punishment would have been the same. So it didn't matter. <laughs> I thought, well, it matters to me <laughs> uh, for obvious reasons. And it wasn't until after Me Too and the Weinstein case came out that the victims in this case realized that we were betrayed twice. First, That's how you feel? You feel that you were betrayed twice? Oh, absolutely. It's like getting, you know, slapped in the face and punched in the gut. Um... The, the DA's office is meant to protect us, is meant to serve justice, and there was no justice here. The office of Manhattan District Attorney Cy Vance is the same one that was lenient with Jeffrey Epstein over his registering as a sex offender and also initially failed to prosecute Harvey Weinstein. When asked for a response, the DA's office told CNN that obtaining a felony conviction was the goal in this case. And while we stand by our legal analysis and resulting disposition of this difficult case, we regret that this resolution has caused survivors pain. Though Haddon was not a big name like Weinstein or Epstein, Yang says he did have a powerful protector, Columbia University, which runs the medical facility where he practiced. The fact that it's a, you know, a, a name brand university um, behind this doctor and using their influence to um, uh, protect themselves at the expense of the victims in the case. Some six weeks before Yang says she was assaulted, police went to Haddon's office and arrested him. Another patient told police he sexually assaulted her and licked her vagina during an exam. The arrest was voided, and he went back to seeing female patients. What happened to me should have never happened. He was arrested in his office, and he was let back to work. Without anybody in the without a chaperone. Without a chaperone. I mean, at the very least, the bare minimum would be to make sure that there's an aid all the time. I... And that's what's 
very painful is knowing that actually what happened to me could have been prevented. Yang's attorney says there are at least 32 women who now accuse Haddon of sexual assault. Most of them, including Yang, are part of civil suits against Columbia University, its affiliates, and Haddon. Among the allegations, accusing Haddon of aggressively penetrating and groping their bodies and genitalia, forcing them to strip naked, groping their breasts, digitally penetrating them, and licking their vaginas. The suit also claims Columbia knew about allegations against Haddon, received numerous complaints of serious misconduct, and kept the complaints secret to avoid negative publicity. The lawsuit is still ongoing. Haddon denies all the allegations against him except the ones he pleaded guilty to. CNN sent detailed questions to Columbia, including why Dr. Haddon was allowed to return to work after his initial arrest, but the university only responded that the allegations against Haddon were abhorrent and they deeply apologized to those whose trust was violated. Yang fought in court for more than two years to keep her identity anonymous, which makes going public now even more remarkable. Why do you want to do this now? What do you want to accomplish now? My uh, personal life and this growing uh, public life, they're, they're not separate. In, in this case, my experience with the sexual assault and then what happened, all that happened afterwards, is such a powerful and upsetting example of the truth that women are living with every day. And I just happen to be able to have a platform to talk about it. I need to use that voice. I feel like it's something that's an obligation, but also a privilege and a gift that I get to share my story now and also help other women. The process of getting to this point is very hard. You know, I like I haven't slept in days. This is um, very hard to come out with, but I, I hope it's, and I have to believe that it's worth it. Okay. Well, that was the video. I hate to end it on a somber note like that, but um, that's all I got for you. All right. I'll try to do another Hawaiian episode here. That'll be fun. But until then, it's been Lit Fam. Namaste. Aloha. Mahalo. Peace out.